We're in the book of Genesis. Now, we have been studying through, and we've been in the life of Joseph. And in Joseph's life, we saw in verse 42, if you've been following along, that Joseph's brothers are sent by their father to Egypt, because the famine was so bad in the promised land in Canaan. So they head down there to Egypt to find if they can buy some food, and they run right into the prime minister, the second in command over all of Egypt, our man Joseph. And when they get there and they have this experience, they don't know that it's him. They don't recognize him. And Joseph is playing it real smart. He has an interpreter there. Even though Joseph understands Hebrew, he's got an interpreter speaking Egyptian so that they think he doesn't understand them. And he's listening in on what they're saying and he realizes that his father, Jacob, is still alive. And that his youngest brother, Benjamin, is still alive. And Joseph wants to see them. And a lot happens in chapter 42, but the interesting thing is what happens as they leave Egypt, for Joseph doesn't want them to leave and not return. So he tells them, you're spies. You guys are spies, you've come to spy out the land, which is kind of funny because they're, you know, they're this little Hebrew clan from over in the promised land, and he's the, you know, second to Pharaoh over all of Egypt. And he calls them spies. And so they, they don't know how to respond to this, and he says, well, I'll tell you what, I'll do. To prove that you're not spies, you need to go back and get your youngest brother and bring him to me so that I can see that the story you're telling me is true. But one of you is going to stay here with me. Simeon, the second oldest son of Jacob. So Simeon stays there and the nine brothers go back. And that's where we kind of pick up our story this morning. Genesis chapter 42 and verse 29. Genesis 42 verse 29. When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke harshly with us and took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, We are honest men. We are not spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no longer alive. And the youngest is with our father today in the land of Canaan. Now the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me, and take grain for the famine of your households, and go. But bring your youngest brother to me, that I may know that you are not spies but honest men. I will give your brother to you, and you may trade in the land. Well, now it came about as we were emptying, they were emptying their sacks, that behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were dismayed. You see, Joseph wouldn't take any of their money. He put it all back in the sacks along with the grain. So now they think, oh, they're going to be royally busted. They're going to be, you know, uh, accused of stealing. Verse 36, their father Jacob said to him, now listen to this. Back to Jacob, good old Jacob. You remember him. Their father Jacob said to them, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. And Simeon is no more. And you would take Benjamin. All these things are against me. You remember Jacob, the heel catcher who swindled the birthright and stole the blessing from his brother Esau. Jacob, the schemer who discovered what it really meant to be swindled from his uncle Laban in the 20 years he lived with him. The patriarch Jacob, who dreamed of God, spoke to God, received his father's covenant from God, the one whose name meant supplanter, but who God renamed Israel, governed by God. That same Jacob. But here we see him whining and worrying. We see him distressed and discouraged, and doubting and despairing. He's back to good old Jacob. He's not Israel here. 
By the way, it's interesting to note, if you will go back on your own time, if you'd like to do this, and study the life of Jacob, and look at when he's called Jacob versus when he's called Israel. Because it all has to do with his behavior and his faith. When he's called Jacob, he's back to the schemer, the supplanter, the, the one who's not trusting. But when he's called Israel, then he's acting as one who is governed by God. But here, it's Jacob who says to them, All these things are against me. Problem is, Jacob's running on his own strength. And when we run on our own strength, we end up in one place. We end up running on empty. Jacob is a great picture of what happens when the strength runs out. It seems as, just like Jacob says, all these things are against me. When I'm leaning on my own strength and I begin to lose it, all these things are against me. My wife doesn't get me. My kids think I'm a loon. My friends aren't there for me. My enemies are set against me. Man, my boss, he's bearing down hard on me. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Ever been there? All these things are against me. Nothing's working out. I don't know how to put it together. Well, Jacob was right there. Let me give you some encouragement this morning. 1 Corinthians 13.12 tells us, For now, for now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. We don't see nearly as clearly as we think we do. But I want you to be encouraged this morning. I want to help you see your way clear this morning. And I think God's word can take us to a good place this morning. But let's begin by praying. Father, I pray that you'd lift up our hearts today. I know, God, among us there are many who are discouraged. I know there are many who are asking the question of what next, or, or how am I going to get through the next day, or God, it just looks like all these things are against me. How do I stand in this world? We need some comfort and some peace in that area, Father, and I pray that you would bring it this morning. We ask Holy Spirit, as we do every time we open your word, please be our teacher. Come in here and as we praise you, inhabit the praise of your saints, Father. Inhabit this place, abide with us, and now teach us, Lord, of your word. So that we can walk out of here encouraged with our heads up. Seeing a little more clearly than we do right now. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are all kinds of things that we take at face value that aren't really true. Cheryl says <clears throat> that I eat like a bird. And anyone who knows me knows that I don't eat like big meals at once. I eat a little bit all the time. You know, She says, I eat like a bird. She'd like me to eat more. The truth is, birds, and you may not have known this, but birds eat half their body weight in food every day. Which means I'd have to be consuming about 90 pounds of food a day to be eating like a bird. You may have heard that uh, people only use 4 to 6% of their brain mass. That people like Albert Einstein, he used 10%. That's not true. That's not true. It's a myth. Everybody uses 100% of their brains, some people more efficiently than others. We're also told that ostriches, and these are just a few trivia things for you. Ostriches bury their heads in the sand when they're afraid. Not true. Not true. An ostrich is actually a picture of someone who is alert and aware because what an ostrich is doing when their head goes down is putting their ear to the ground so they can hear what's coming. So again, it's not true. We don't see nearly as clearly as we think we do. Or here's one. They say lightning never strikes twice in the same place. Not true. The World Trade Center towers, when they stood, used to get struck by lightning multiple times a year. 
Same place. And there's a guy, a Wyoming park ranger, dubbed the human lightning rod, who's been struck by lightning seven times. Seven times. He's lost fingernails and eyebrows. I mean, this guy is fried. And I'm thinking, if I'm this guy, I'm moving out of Wyoming. I'm going to find another job. Get me out of the park. Well, we don't see nearly as clearly as we think we do. Truth is, as soon as we think we have life figured out, our own lives, as soon as we get it all placed out and lined up, something happens, doesn't it? And it just throws us into a spin and we think, oh no, it was all so good and now it's all so bad. All these things, all these things are against me. How am I going to get through? Jacob cries that very thing. All these things are against me. Well, the Bible teaches otherwise. The Bible says we know, we know that God causes all things to work together. For those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. That's Romans 8.28. You've heard the verse in your life. Probably many times. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to His purpose. This is something we can know. Circumstances of our lives we can't know. The future we can't know. Tomorrow we cannot know. But we can know this. Beyond the shadow of a doubt. That all things work together for good to those who love God. Who are called according to His purpose. But what does Jacob say? He says, no, everything is against me. My favorite son is dead. Or so he thinks. My second eldest son, Simeon, is stuck in prison. Or so he believes. His youngest son, Benjamin, is now on the block, or so he fears. The famine is going to do us all in. All these things are against me. And from Jacob's perspective, everything looks bad. But from God's perspective, consider the same exact story with a different view. Jacob, your favorite son, Joseph, is prime minister of Egypt. Jacob, your second eldest son, Simeon, is now safe in Joseph's care. Jacob, your youngest son, Benjamin, is about to be reunited with his brother. Jacob, not only is your family going to be saved from the famine, but you're about to have the most awesome family reunion you have ever experienced. That's God's perspective. And Jacob misses the whole thing. He's on the verge, folks, in this story of the greatest joy of his life. His son, who he thought dead for many years, 20 years to be precise, is alive. But all these things are working together against me. No, Jacob, all things are working together for good for those who love the Lord. How like Jacob we are. We are so like him. But listen, children of God. The myth is that all things are working against me. The reality is that all things are working together for good. Now, about Rick, you may say, I've read the verse. I see the catch. All things work together for good. Yeah. For those who love the Lord. For those who are called according to His purpose. It's not an unconditional all things work together for, the, for everyone. It's for certain people. What if I don't love the Lord? What if I'm not sure if I'm showing love to the Lord? What if I'm not called according to His purpose? <laughs> then all these things truly are working against me. Well, we need to answer a couple of questions in this verse. Romans 8.28, and if you have your Bible, flip there so you can kind of be looking at it, reading it. Keep a finger over there in Genesis chapter 42 and 43. We'll come back. 
You may ask the question, what about when I'm not loving the Lord? Or what if I'm not behaving or acting as one who is called according to His purpose? Well, first of all, understand that you're in great company. You have just joined the army of the saints. The great mess of believers over the the centuries. Abraham was called by God. So he slept with his handmaid. Beautiful Abraham. Isaac was called, so he lied about his wife and ignored the Lord's prophecy about his two sons. Jacob was called. The scriptures record five different times, five times that we know that Jacob had man-to-God experience, saw God, talked to God, was in the presence of the Lord, five times. And here he's actually able to say, all these things are against me, as he sinks into despair. So instead of wallowing in self-pity or doubt, let's seek to understand what God is really saying to us about all things working together for good. I want to detour from Jacob for a moment and think about this verse and answer two questions this morning. Question number one, how do I know I love the Lord? Simple as that. How do I know? And number two, how do I know I've been called according to His purpose? Now in the first question you might say, well I know I love the Lord because I feel it in my heart. Do you? Always? Do you always feel love? Remember, love is not a feeling. Love is not an emotion. It's a decision we make. You don't always love those people closest to you, do you? (laughs) Think about your family. Do you always love them? Or are there times when you look at them and go, You weren't here right now. Do you always always love the Lord? Oh, yes, I always love the Lord. Yeah, I'm sure you do. And worship, man, when the songs are good. I just love the Lord. And what about when your life is tanking? Ever shake your fist at the sky? Ever just say, Lord, I'm a little angry with you right now. Things are not working out the way you told me they would. Maybe you're not like that, but you need to understand that loving the Lord is much more than a feeling. It is an action. Listen to this. Here's how John tells us we know we love the Lord. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. John says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Let me read that again. Listen. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. There's a litmus test here for knowing how much you love the Lord and it is directly related to how much you love His people. My love for the Lord has that direct connection. You can see someone's love for the Lord, not just in how they worship, not in how they show up, not in how much Bible study they do. You see someone's true love for Jesus in the love they have for other people. Because that love relationship I have with the Father changes my perspective and I begin to look at people the way He begins to look at people. How do you feel about people? Cheryl and I, when we were younger, used to say we were having misanthropic days. Learned that word in college. Misanthropy, hatred of mankind. And there were days when I was misanthropic. Just look around and just go. Be walking in a mall and go, they're just so weird. Everybody but me. How do you feel about God's people? Do you love them? Do you love them? 1 John 4.20 If someone says, I love God and hates his brother. He is a liar. 
For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Now that word brother is not just talking about a sibling. It's often used for that in Scripture. There's another word used for brother as well. But the word in 1 John 4, 20 and 21 is Adelphos. Adelphos literally means from the womb. One who comes from the same womb that you came from. So you might say, okay, a brother or sister. Well, there's more to it than that. John is speaking about Christians here. He's making it clear that Christians share a common womb. That we were all birthed by the Spirit of God into new life. And when you've been birthed into new life by God's Spirit, and another person has been birthed into new life by God's Spirit, guess what? Adelphos, you're from the same womb. Your brother, your sister, your sibling with that person. And John says, hey, you can't say you love God and hate someone who is from the same womb. You can't say, God, I love you, but hate another Christian brother or sister. Can't do it. It's impossible. You're a liar if you say that. And this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. And we cannot walk in new life without love for our siblings. Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. What commandments? The commandment he hones in on in that same passage of John, John 14, 15, and 16. He says it in John 15, 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And let me tell you something about the British Christian Fellowship. The fellowship part is key. As we go forward in the knowledge and love of the Lord, in Bible study, in really getting into His Word, as we develop worship, as we begin to pop up and develop new ministries together, understand that we have got to be a people who continue to work at loving each other. And it is work. It is work, isn't it? I mean, in your family life, there are days it's work. With your friends, your true friends are those who will work with you at the relationship, even when it's hard. And if you love God, you are going to love your brothers and your sisters. And the Bible says God will cause all things to work together for those who love the Lord. Yeah, but what about that other part? What about those who are called according to His purpose? How do I know I've been called? And how do I know I've been called according to His purpose? What if I become a believer, a Christian, I've given my life to God, but now I'm kind of wandering over here, I'm not really following His purpose. Then things aren't going to work out for me, right? Listen to this. And this is important. Romans 8.28, when broken down in its original language, does not say for those who are called according to his purpose. What it says is, for those who are the called according to his purpose. What's the big deal? Folks, the difference is that Paul is not talking about what you've done. He's talking about what God has done. And the word the there makes all the difference. Listen to it. God works all things together for good for those who love the Lord, who are called according to His purpose. Well, that indicates as long as I'm called according to His purpose, I'm loved. But it doesn't say that. It says for the called. For those people who are the called. Paul would use this phrase. He's used it many times in his letters. The called. Those who are the called. All right? I want you guys to get your heads around an entire passage here. Try try and embrace this if you can. Flip to Ephesians chapter 1. And let Paul describe the called. And who they are. What they look like. Ephesians chapter 1. Now I don't normally do this. 
I'm going to read you the whole chapter. And I want you to follow along in your Bibles and look at it. And circle things and underline things that jump out at you. And just listen to Paul. In the first century church, in the first century church, much of what happened in their worship times is just reading the letters, reading the scriptures. All these things are working together against her right now. Ephesians chapter 1. Check this out. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and who are faithful to Christ Jesus. Now, just let the word soak in. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. That we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. What have you done so far in this passage? (laughs) Nothing. But look at what God has done and is doing. Read on. Verse 5 again. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. And in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. Did we earn the inheritance? No, we obtained it in Him, having been predestined according to the purpose who to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. Now watch this. Paul's going to shift the first twelve verses, and I this is personal thinking here. I, I believe this. I think Paul is talking about Israel. In the first 12 verses. I think he's talking about Jewish believers here. Why? Because he's talking about all these things. Comes down to the end and talks about those who are. We who were the first to hope in Christ. Who would be to the praise of his glory. And then in verse 13 he says. In him you also. The rest of you. In him you also after listening to the message of truth. The gospel of your salvation. Having also believed. You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. Now stay with it here. Keep reading. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom. And of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That we would see a little more clearly than we do. So that you will know what is the hope of His calling. His calling. Those who are called according to His purpose. The called. He says, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe? 
These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things into subjection under his feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all." I wanted you to hear that for this reason. Paul describes the called. He takes a long time there to bring it all around and show us the called are those who God planned ahead of time, chose ahead of time, drew in ahead of time, said these will be mine ahead of time. Those are the called. So what about those who aren't called? Are you saying that God takes away our free will, our choice? That he removes that from us, that I'm just predestined, so if I'm a Christian, that I'm a Christian. If I'm not, then God didn't choose me? No. I've said this before. If you want to know that you're called, if you want to know that you're chosen by God, choose him today, and you are. That's how it works. God knew and knows every single person's choice. He knows what everybody's going to decide about, about him. And because of that knowledge... Knowing ahead of time who would choose him, he predestined those people to be the called. Now go back to Romans 8, 28. Listen again. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. How do I know I love God? Because I love God's people. And to those who are the called according to his purpose. Listen, if you've given your life to Christ, if you believe in Jesus, you are the called. You have been called according to His purpose. You may not be acting in His purpose. You may not be fulfilling all of the, the things that God would like you to fulfill yet in your life. You may be having a really nasty bad week. But you're still the called. You have been called according to His purpose. His purpose, what was that? To save your life and mine. His purpose, to give grace to those who could not redeem themselves. Now remember Jacob. Jacob's running on his strength. He's thinking with human thoughts. He's not having a right perspective. He's not seeing with the eyes of God. He's thinking like Jacob, the schemer. And he's trying to figure it all out and it doesn't add up. And folks, in my life many times it does not add up. I've spent a lot of time with the calculator in the last few months. And it's not adding up. I don't know how it's going to work. But God knows. Praise God. He knows. He understands. He sees. And the Bible tells us we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those that love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Now, what do I do if I recognize that God has called me and I know I love the Lord and His people, but I'm still despairing like Jacob? Watch this. Go back to Genesis 43. Genesis 43 in verse 11. The last verse we read, Genesis 42, 36. Jacob cries out, All these things are against me. And after that, Reuben, his firstborn, will say, Look, well, let me take Benjamin down there, and, and my life will, will be forfeit if I don't bring him back. And Jacob says, No, 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 he's in despair. No, you can't go down there. Remember, what needs to happen is, Benjamin needs to go down there. It needs to happen. Now, we read the story and we know this. We know that a good thing is waiting in Egypt for Jacob and all his family. Jacob doesn't see it yet. 
And even as Reuben offers his own life in exchange, if he doesn't bring Benjamin back, Jacob is blind to it. And it takes Jacob a while. Finally, Judah in chapter 43 will come up and talk to Jacob and talk him into it. And finally, look at what happens in verse 11. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best products of the land in your bags and carry down to the man as a present a little balm and a little honey, aromatic gum and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. See, the schemer wants to buy some things here. It's okay. Take double the money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Verse 13. Take your brother also and arise, return to the man. And may God Almighty grant you compassion in the sight of the man, so that he will release to you your older brother and Benjamin. As for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. And now Jacob is talking like Israel. Now the man of faith is beginning to emerge. Now he's doing something he needed to do in the beginning. He's not succumbing to doubt and depression. He is succumbing to God Almighty. He is moving from the place of victim to the place of victor. And how is he doing it? By an act, and check this out, think about this, by an act of divine resignation. If I could get you to remember two words from this morning, that's it. Divine resignation. Gang, it's time to resign. I had a friend who used to keep a resignation letter in the drawer of his desk at the work, the place where we were working, just on the off chance that he had just had enough. Well, let me tell you, if you've had enough, it's time to resign. It's time to stop the internal fight that says, I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to find a way. I'm going to work this out. Jacob could not work it out. He was at rock bottom and everything was bleak. And so he resigned. And that is the man of faith. That's why, by the way, he's called Israel again. Verse 11, Then their father Israel said, If it must be so, okay. If I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. And look at the phrase he uses in verse 14, God Almighty, that's El Shaddai. That's the name that God gave himself when he first appeared to Abraham. El Shaddai. Job chapter 1 verse 21, Job shows us an act of divine resignation. He says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, when we were staying at Jeff and Penelope D'Angelo's house a few months back, any time that Jeff found himself getting stressed out or frustrated, he would just start singing that song. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he would go around the house singing that. I love that. Because that's exactly what we need to do. My life is in the tank. Everything's going wrong. Oh, it's horrible. All these things are against me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Yeah. That's the time to believe. Divine resignation. Giving it up. Giving in. Saying, I can't handle this. It's right where Jacob was. And Israel emerges. And he speaks to his sons. And he gives up. Now you're talking, Israel. Now you're resigned to the Father. Now you're speaking as a man of faith. And family, when you're at your wit's end, when you're despairing of things you cannot see, which is pretty much everything from a minute from now on, when you are unsure and worried and it's got you in its grip, resign. Resign. 
I am no longer in charge of my life. I give it up. God, take over. Maybe this morning you just need to give up. Well, folks, as we've read, you can know for sure that you are working, that God is working out His perfect, inerrant, infallible will in your life. That God is causing, one more time, all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called, according to His purpose. 